Well, good morning to each one of you. Well, good morning to each one of you. I'm Cameron's father, if you know him, that he's more well-known than I am around here. You know, when Larry asked me to preach a few weeks ago, I said, okay, but only on one condition. I told him I'm not wearing a sweater vest. Now, <laughs> he was a little bit offended at first. I think he was a bit hesitant. It was only after a time of solitude and prayer and fasting that he agreed to my conditions. So I'm thankful for this opportunity to uh, preach God's word this morning. You know, when I'm asked to do something like this, I try to say yes. And the reason I, 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 I like to do this is because I know that if I'm going to stand up here with any credibility, I've got to preach this to myself first. And it gives me the opportunity to to study God's word and to think about my own life and my own heart. I would encourage you, when, when, when the opportunity is given to you, if somebody says, hey, will you teach life change for me? Or even this Sunday school class for me? Or this, will you teach at the women's retreat? Or the men's retreat? Take that as an opportunity, first of all, for you to get into God's word and for God's word to get into you. And, and you'll be amazed what God does. Well, let's pray this morning and see what God will do with us this morning. Father, we are grateful for this opportunity. Lord, we thank you for the great Savior that we have, Jesus Christ, who offers us amazing forgiveness. And Lord, we pray that this morning, you're, through the word of God and through your spirit, that you would speak to each one of us. And that we would be examining our hearts, that they would lie open before you, and you would have your way with us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. A wealthy landowner woke up one morning with a full day ahead. You see, he, he had to go into town, into the city. He had an important meeting to attend. It would take most of his day. And he also had dinner guests coming that evening. It was the governor's brother, very important guests. And knowing that he wouldn't be there for most of the day, he called his faithful servant, and he said to him, first of all, I need you to do two things. Number one, here is the money to give to the workers who are out in the field. You see, at the end of the day, they must be paid. Here is the money to pay them. Secondly, he said, here is some money to give to the cook who will prepare for this evening's dinner. And so the servant took the money and the owner of this large estate left for his important meeting in town. But after he left, the servant's countenance changed. You see, he began to think to himself, it, it's not fair that, that he has all this money and I have so very little. He began to say, it's not fair that I have to work so hard and he goes to these meetings and has fancy dinners. It's not fair that he can always tell me what to do. And so he made a plan. His plan was to take the money, to run away, and to never come back. And so quietly and secretly, he, he took this money, he packed his stuff, on his way out, probably grabbed a few 
of the owner's heirlooms, gold and silver, whatever he, he could get, and he left. When the owner came back that evening, he thought he would come back to the smell of delicious food, but instead he came back to an angry mob of workers who were not paid. And he, he came back to a cook who had not been started cooking things. No preparations had been made for the soon-to-be-arriving guests. He felt shamed and embarrassed. And after he found out that his servant had took the money, stole some of his possessions, and left, he felt betrayed and embarrassed. You see, Philemon had entrusted Onesimus with this task. He, he, he loved Onesimus as a son. And so the betrayal that he felt that pierced his heart was all the more painful. How could Onesimus do this to him? How would he respond if he ever saw Onesimus again? You see, in this letter, Paul is writing to his friend Philemon. He's, Paul's in Rome. He's in prison. And he's writing to Philemon that he would receive Onesimus back, who had become a Christian while Paul was in Rome, in prison, and that he would receive him back as a brother in Christ, even though he had wronged him so terribly. And so Paul writes this shortest of his letters, only 335 words, but yet a very important and powerful message. Now, to be honest, I have embellished some of the details of the story. Okay, we don't, you don't get all the, all the details there. But something like that probably happened. Certain things we know, that Philemon was a wealthy Christian and Onesimus was a slave who committed some terrible wrong against Philemon. You see, ultimately, this is a book about forgiveness. It's about forgiveness and restoration, reconciliation. It's about somebody who was unjustly wronged and that Paul expects that person who was wronged to forgive somebody else, the one who wronged him. I wonder, how, how would you have responded? How, how do you respond when someone sins against you or offends you? You see, as a church, we need to learn to forgive one another. If we're going to love the church, right, our, our, our three circles of loving God and, and then loving the church and loving our neighbor, if we're going to do that, we need to be willing to forgive one another. Well, the structure for the message this morning is very simple, and I'm, I'm taking it from Colossians chapter 3. Interesting, Colossians is written, it was Paul's letter to the church at Colossae. Well, that's exactly where Philemon lived. He lived in the same city. And so he would have been familiar with this. We don't know which letter was written first, but it was written about the same time. And in Colossians 3, Paul says this, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. And here it is. 
as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. That's really the structure. So, well, number one, in order to truly forgive others, we need to experience God's forgiveness. In order to truly forgive others, we need to experience God's forgiveness. You see, we forgive because the Lord first forgave us. Our ability, our desire to forgive comes from first having received forgiveness. And so, in many ways in this story, we we can relate to Onesimus. Because like Onesimus, we have sinned against our master. Onesimus had sinned against Philemon, we know this. And so Paul says in verse 18, if he has wronged you, Paul, Paul certainly knew that Onesimus shared with him what he did. And so he says, if he, if he has wronged you or owes you anything, charge that to my account. You see, Onesimus sinned against Philemon. He did something wrong. He stole from him. And he fled. See, there's a parallel here because we have also sinned against our master. God is our master. He created all things, including us. And we have repeatedly sinned against him. You know the verse, Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. We've committed a multitude of sins against God. There's a couple different kinds of of ways we can sin. There's sins of commission and there's sins of omission. There's sins we commit. God says, don't do something, and we commit it. We do it. He says, don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, don't lie, don't covet. And we do. And even if we don't actually do it, we do it in our hearts because Jesus says, if you you have hate in your heart, you've broken the the commandment not to murder. If you have lust in your heart, you've committed adultery. Then there's sins of omission, things we ought to do that we don't do. We ought to honor our father and mother. We ought to uh, love our enemies and, and, and bless those who persecute us. And we ought not to be ashamed of the gospel, but sometimes we are. Everyone is guilty of sin. You know, according to my calculations, I have, and I found this amazing. I, I, I did it more than once just to make sure the numbers were accurate. I have lived exactly 16,422 days. What have I done? I mean, to show for the, what, it's amazing. 16,000 days. You know that if I sinned only 10 times a day, and that's a big if, if you, if you ask my wife, I've committed more than 160,000 sins. Imagine getting 160,000 parking tickets or speeding tickets and showing up to court. You're done with. There's no, there's no, no way you're getting off. You can't say, well, no. Well, something far worse has happened. We've sinned against God. We've sinned against the holy, holy, holy one of the universe. And we're all guilty. You see, we have sinned against God. But the good news is, like Onesimus, we can be forgiven. 
Onesimus received forgiveness, at least, at least from, from God. We know this. You see, somehow he, he came into contact with Paul and was converted. In verses 10 and 11, Paul says this, I appeal to you for my child. And he's talking about his child in the faith. For my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly, he was useless to you. Paul's playing on words here because the name Onesimus means, means useful. And he wasn't living up to his name. So he says, formerly, I know, he was useless. But now he's living according to his name. He's useful once again to you and to me. We don't know exactly what happened, but maybe Onesimus decided to flee to the big city after he ran away and hide in the, in the big city. And so he went to Rome, and there he, I don't know, maybe he, he squandered his money. And as he was, he was doing that, he reflected on his life. And he thought, what am I, what am I doing? And he had that, that prodigal son moment where he came to his senses, and he remembered Philemon. He remembered how, how gracious he was to him and how he treated him so well and began to feel conviction for what he had done. And he maybe remembered how, how Philemon would pray for this apostle Paul who was in prison in Rome. And so he humbled himself and sought out Paul and found Paul while he was in, in prison under house arrest in Rome. And there in that, in that prison, he confessed his sins. He repented. And Paul tells us that he became a child in the, in the faith. And Paul became his spiritual father. You see, he received forgiveness. As we'll see later, I think Philemon also forgave him. But you see, forgiveness is also available for us. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins... God is faithful and just to do what? To forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Paul says in Ephesians 1, 7, that in Christ we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. You see, today, if you have not confessed your sins, if you have not received that forgiveness, that's the first step. Before you think about giving forgiveness to others, you need to first receive that forgiveness. That's the good news. That, that's what we talk about the gospel around here. That's, that's what it means. The gospel means good news. The good news is you, you've sinned and you don't deserve forgiveness, but God grants it. Why? Because of what Christ has done on the cross and his death, burial, and resurrection, defeating sin and ascending to the right hand of the Father. Psalm 103, verse 12 says, As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Isaiah 1:18, Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow, and though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. God is faithful and just. He will forgive you. In a dream, Martin Luther found himself being attacked by Satan. And the devil unrolled a long scroll of Martin Luther's sins, held it before him. And then reaching the end, 
Uh, Luther said, is that all? The devil said, no. And he brought out a second scroll and then a third scroll. But then there were no more. And Luther said, you've forgotten something. He said, quickly write on each of them, the blood of Jesus, God's son, cleanses us from all sins. You see, you're a great sinner. That's what the Bible tells us. But the good news is we have an even greater Savior. We need to first experience God's forgiveness. Like Onesimus, we can be forgiven. Number two, once we experience that, forg- that forgiveness, we are expected to forgive others. Right? Isn't that what Paul says in Colossians 3.13? As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. You know, that's a command. You, 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 you need to do this. You must do this. But notice that we forgive because we first receive this forgiveness. And there's an expectation that those who receive forgiveness should be willing to grant forgiveness. So in another sense, we're in this story, we're like Philemon. Because like Philemon, people sin against us. Onesimus had sinned against Philemon, didn't he? Now, according to, the, according to this letter, what we know about Philemon is that he was a person who lived an upright and godly life, that he treated Onesimus with dignity and respect. If you look in your Bible, you'll see in verse 1, he's called a beloved fellow worker. And we know that in verse 2, it says that the church met at his home. He was a leader in the church. In verse 5, Paul says, I've heard of your love, not only for the Lord Jesus, but for all the saints. And then in verse 7, it talks about how he demonstrated that love by refreshing the hearts of the saints. He often helped people. And yet, and yet, even though he did all these good things, somebody still sinned against him. Onesimus wronged him and ran off, stole something. And I'm sure this caused Philemon to experience shame, embarrassment, financial loss. Sometimes people sin against you. Do you know that? Has it ever happened to you? Someone ever done, done you wrong? Have you ever experienced shame and embarrassment and financial loss because of what someone else has done to you and you didn't deserve it? You know, sometimes people lie to you. They promise you one thing, but they don't deliver. Maybe you've had a boss who said, yeah, you'll get a promotion, you'll get a raise, and you're waiting and waiting and waiting. It never happens, and so-and-so gets it instead. They lie to you. It happens. People offend us. They, they sin against us. They, they do things just purposely to offend us. and we didn't, we didn't deserve it. You ever had somebody steal something from you? I have a friend who loaned a family member $50,000. They say never do that. Uh, he loaned a, member, uh, a family member $50,000, never paid back. Maybe someone has hurt you or hurt someone you love. It happens. I remember reading in, in 2000, Pope John Paul II went to prison to forgive the person who tried to assassinate him. Took him 19 years to get there, but um, eventually he, he goes to prison and he, he grants forgiveness to this person. 
Sometimes people irritate us. They do small things, they do large things. But people sin against us sometimes. There's a student at South, Southeastern College whose wife was recently killed. Just a few months ago, on March 22nd, Michael Barlow, a student, he was driving home from Virginia, and he heard on the radio that there was a terrible accident on Capitol Boulevard. And so he, he phoned his wife on her cell phone, and when there was no response, uh, he asked a friend to go to the, to the scene of the accident. Eventually found out that somebody who was driving a dump truck recklessly had plowed into the back of his wife's minivan and essentially just crunched her car into a tractor trailer in front of her. She was killed. He now wears his wife's wedding ring around his neck. How, how would you have responded to something like that? Would you be willing to forgive somebody who has offended you, sinned against you? You see, like Philemon, we have an obligation to forgive others. You see, as a Christian, Philemon had an obligation to forgive Onesimus. And Paul says, look, I, I can order you to do so. So he says in verse 8, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required. I could command you, but that's not what I'm going to do. There's a better way. And so in verse 9, he appeals to him on the basis of love. He says, for love's sake. My love for you, but also the love that you received in Christ. Because of that, that's better motivation to forgive others. And then in verse 14, he says, I prefer to do nothing without your consent, in order that your goodness might not be according to compulsion, but of your own accord. You see, we, we don't obey just because we have to, but after reflecting on the grace and the love that we receive in Christ. And notice here that Paul reminds Philemon of God's divine purpose in all of this. In verse 15, he says, and I, and I think this is a bit of an understatement, he says, for perhaps... And I think, you ever did that? Well, maybe God's working in this situation. You don't really mean maybe. What you're saying is, look, God's working here. Paul uses one of those. He says, for perhaps this is why uh, he was parted for you for a while. Literally, it means for an hour. He's trying to show that just an hour compared to the eternity now that you'll have with Onesimus. So he says, this was God's plan. You might have, have him back forever. Paul, Paul knew this. He Remember what he says in Romans 8, 28? He says, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Here's an illustration of that, Philemon. Don't you, don't you see this? How, how this has turned out beyond our wildest expectation. This is, this is fantastic. Look what God has done in this situation. He's turned the bad and he's made it good for his purposes. And apparently, Philemon forgave Onesimus. You say, well, how do you know that Philemon forgave Onesimus? The answer is, I, work, I teach at the seminary. I know these things. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but let me give you three reasons why I think I know that Philemon forgave Onesimus. Number one, Paul was confident 
In verse, in verse uh, 20, 22, 21, he says, confident of your obedience, I am writing to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. Paul knew Philemon. He was confident that he would do the right thing. He knew of his reputation. He knew that he was a trusted brother in the Lord. But also, this letter was kept and became part of the Bible as a testimony of Philemon's forgiveness. You know, I can imagine the dialogue between Onesimus and, and Paul. And Onesimus says, Paul, I know you want me to go back. There's no way I'm going back. If, if Philemon ever sees me again because of what I did to him, he will kill me. He probably had the legal right to do so. Paul says, no, Onesimus, you, you need to trust me. I know Philemon. I know that he is a good brother. I know he will do the right thing. I know he will forgive you, and I know that he will restore you. Onesimus saying, I don't know, Paul. I'm, I'm worried. And Paul says, okay, here's what I'll do. I'll write Paul a letter, or I, Paul, will, will write a letter to Philemon. And in this letter, I'm going to tell Philemon that you have become a believer in Christ and I'm going to tell him how you have been helpful for me in the ministry. And then I'll tell him this. If you owe him anything, I'll pay it back. Really? You'll do that for me, Paul? Yes, I'm going to do that for you. Okay, if you'll do that, I'll go back. And so Paul writes this letter. And Onesimus takes the letter. Copy it, right? Copy of it right here. He takes the letter, sealed, Paul's seal. And he takes it. And I can imagine as he's walking back, as he's, as, he's, as he's arriving in Colossae and getting close to Philemon's estate, his heart pounding, getting nervous, what's going to happen, praying, and then eventually confronts Philemon. With his head down, he hands him the letter. Philemon takes it, breaks the seal, opens it. And you can imagine as he, as he sees Onesimus, that day of his betrayal comes to, comes to mind. Those emotions, that anger, that frustration that he experienced. Well, as he read that letter, what do you think happened? Here's what I think didn't happen. I don't think he gave vent to that frustration and anger and looked at this letter and read it and crumpled it up and threw it away. And the reason why I don't think that happened is because we still have it, right? It's over. There's no forgiveness. There's no letter. And he would have said, away with this man. But that didn't happen. As he, as he read that letter, I'm sure that he felt the sense of joy, that unspeakable joy that we were singing about. He probably had been praying for Onesimus. And he, he remembers that he knows that there's more joy in heaven when one sinner repents than over 99 righteous persons who don't need repentance or think they don't need repentance. And I, I could imagine him weeping and embracing Onesimus. And also, according to church history, Onesimus became a leader in the church at Ephesus. And God once again proved him faithful to his name. He became useful after receiving this forgiveness. You see, 
as a Christian, you also have an obligation to forgive others. It, it, first of all, it's our duty. We ought to do this. We've received forgiveness. We ought to forgive others. Listen to what Jesus says. This is, uh, listen to the words and the, and the warning of Jesus in Matthew 6. If you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. See, there's an obligation there. In Matthew, in Matthew 18, Peter asked Jesus, Lord, how often should I forgive my brother? Up to seven times? And Jesus says, no, not seven times, but 77 times. And then Jesus tells a parable of an unforgiving servant. This one servant owed this amazing amount of money, 10,000 talents, which is equivalent to, it, nobody, owed, nobody had that kind of money. Nobody. It's the equivalent to billions of dollars. But this servant begged for forgiveness, and it was granted to him. And the same servant who owed 10,000 talents found somebody who owed a, a mere 100 denarii. And when that servant begged for forgiveness with the same words that the servant used, he refused to forgive. And so this, the servant was thrown into prison. And Jesus says in verse 35, so also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. See, we're expected to forgive others. And Paul didn't just talk about this, he practiced it. There's a, there's a little nugget hidden in, in verse 24. There's someone by the name of Mark mentioned. Mark, and Paul calls him one of his fellow workers. Well, who is this Mark? This is John Mark. Paul's first missionary journey. He and Barnabas go on this journey, and they take John Mark with them. But at the beginning of the journey, John Mark bails. He leaves for some, for some reason. Paul's obviously not happy with him because on the second journey, Barnabas wants to take John Mark, his cousin, but Paul says no. And he takes Silas, and they split ways and says that there was a sharp disagreement between them. But notice here, Paul's in prison, and who's, who's the fellow worker? Mark. You see, there was forgiveness there. And in 2 Timothy 4.11, this is Paul's last letter that he writes. He says, get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Okay, notice this idea of once this, there's forgiveness, there's usefulness again. And so... Paul practiced this himself. We have an obligation to forgive others. But God appeals to us on the basis of his love. The great debt that we have been forgiven should motivate us. The love that we have received should cause us to return that love to others, even those who don't deserve it. In Luke 7, there's a sinful woman that is anointing Jesus' feet. And Simon, the Pharisee, doesn't understand why Jesus is allowing this. And then Jesus tells this parable in verse 41. He says, a certain moneylender had two debtors. One owned 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, 
which of them will love him more? And Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said, you have judged rightly. And then Jesus tells them in in verse 47, he says, therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. Sometimes the reason I think we can't forgive is we don't understand the depth of our sin and the magnitude of the forgiveness that we have received. You see, Michael Barlow, whose wife was killed, he says that he, he has forgiven the driver of the dump truck. Here's what he said. He says, knowing what we know, Knowing the the gospel, the forgiveness that we have received, he says, knowing what we know, it doesn't make it hard to extend forgiveness when we've been extended forgiveness. How was he able to do that? He reflected on the forgiveness he has received. He says, it doesn't make it hard. Once Once I understand that, I'm able to forgive. And so we need to remember as well, God's divine purpose in all of this. That sometimes God allows things to happen to us. He allows bad things to happen to us. He allows people to sin against us. It happened to Philemon. And he was, he, he, Paul reminds him of God's divine purpose. You think of another story of the Old Testament of Joseph and his brothers. How they, they threw him into the pit and, and then they decided to sell him to slavery to Egypt. And at the end, he was able to forgive his brothers because he says, I know you meant it for evil, but God had a purpose in it. God meant it for good. Who is it that you might need to forgive? Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe there's a husband that needs to forgive a wife, a wife that needs to forgive a husband. Maybe it's a a brother or sister you need to forgive or a parent, a father or mother, or a child, maybe it's a son or daughter. It could simply be a friend, a boss, a coworker, a neighbor, someone in this room, someone in the first service. We need to be willing to extend forgiveness based on the forgiveness we have received. And so as I close, I have, I have three questions I wanna ask. And I want you to think about which one of these applies to you most of all. And, and, and use this as a takeaway. And if need be, when, when the, the musicians come back up, uh, if you feel like you need to respond, to come forward, to come forward with prayer, maybe grab somebody, then you need to do that. Three questions. Number one, do you need to receive God's forgiveness? This is probably the most important question. It is the most important question. Do you need to receive God's forgiveness? You see, the good news is that Christ has made a way. We have sinned against God, but yet there is forgiveness available. It's interesting, I I think, as as I read through this and read through this, it it seems that Paul's words, especially in verses verses 17 to 19, they seem to echo the gospel. Paul is gospel-saturated. And his words seem to echo the gospel. And you can almost imagine Christ saying these words to the Father on our behalf. When he says, receive him as you would me. 
If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I will repay it. Maybe we need to receive forgiveness from God. Second question. Do you need to extend forgiveness to somebody else? Has somebody wronged you? As I was thinking about this, I was, I was trying to think, okay, what are, some, what are the signs of unforgiveness? How do we know whether we need to extend forgiveness? Let me offer a few, a few things to think about if you, whether you need to. Uh, here, these, are, these are signs of unforgiveness, number one. You think about the offense often. When you see that person, all you can see is what they've done to you. And, and those emotions and that feeling of that betrayal, every time you, you see them and think of them, that's what you experience. You, you don't seem to be able to let it go. Another sign is that you tend to avoid that person. You don't attend family reunions because that person's going to be there. Or, or maybe you don't go to the first service because that person attends the first service, so you're going to the second service. Another sign might be that you judge that person's motives negatively. Every time they do something, you're very suspicious about them. Yeah, I know what they're up to. Never giving the benefit of the doubt. You see, as a believer, love covers a multitude of sins. We need, we need to give other people the benefit of the doubt. It could be lack of spiritual growth. Paul says, remember, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity for the devil. Maybe you're giving the devil an opportunity in your heart and that's causing you not to grow spiritually because you're holding on to that bitterness and that resentment and that anger. Or it could even be physical pain. That you're sick all the time. They, they say that unforgiveness causes certain hormones and things to be released in your body that cause anxiety and causes your body not to function properly. They even talk about forgiveness therapy. People who forgive are more likely to get better. Whatever, the, whatever it might be, if you're holding on these things, be willing to forgive as you reflect on the forgiveness that you have received. And then finally, the third question. Do you need to seek forgiveness from someone else? Maybe you're the offender Maybe you need to ask for forgiveness. Maybe there's somebody on your heart right now that you realize that you've done something and that you've never really said, that you've never apologized, you never asked for forgiveness. I would encourage you to pray about that and to act. Maybe it takes, maybe it involves somebody else. Paul stepped in and helped Onesimus be reconciled with Philemon. Maybe you need to confess this to somebody a brother, a sister in Christ, somebody in your small group, somebody you're sitting next to uh, who can pray for you, who can help you with this. And I close with these two verses, Ephesians 4.32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And then Colossians 3.13, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. You know, how, how was it that the, the church of the Emmanuel AME Church in Charleston, South Carolina, how was it that they were able to forgive Dylan Roof, the person who went in and, and killed nine innocent people? How, how were they able to do that? 
How was Michael Barlow able to forgive the person who, who killed his wife? How was Philemon able to forgive Onesimus who did this wrong to him? How is it that you are able to extend forgiveness to others? The answer is, is simple. We're able to forgive because of the forgiveness that we have in Christ. Let's pray together.